Hey, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Yeah, what's up, guys? Good to see you. My name is John, I'm one of your pastors here, and it is great to be with you all, as always. Love being with you guys, love worshiping Jesus together, and love opening God's word together, and that's what we're gonna be doing. We're continuing our series in Revelation. Um, so this series has been great. I've loved it so far, and uh, I'm really excited for this passage today. As you heard, buckle up. Get ready, because we're talking about the synagogue of Satan. So here we go. It's worth it. That's what he believed as he counted the cost of following Jesus. He knew the risk was worth the reward, and he knew the possibility of persecution. He was born a few years after the apostle Paul and Peter had died, but the Apostle John was still alive and was living only a few miles from him. And so the Apostle John took him under his wing to teach him and train him in the way of Jesus to disciple him. And after several years of faithfulness, he was appointed the bishop of the church in Smyrna. But widespread persecution of Christians had broken out in Smyrna because Christians refused to worship the emperor. The church, because of this, they urged their bishop to hide, and it led him to fleeing into the countryside. But Roman officials were on the hunt for him. They were determined to find him, and so they tortured people to try to get information about him. And eventually... Due to the torture, someone broke under torture and they gave up his hiding place. And so a mob of Roman soldiers arrived. They showed up to arrest the bishop in a Garden of Gethsemane type of scene. There were only two options for the bishop curse Christ or be killed. Upon his arrest, the soldiers took him to the arena. This arena would be the place where he would be forced to worship the emperor as Lord. But he said, it's worth it to suffer for Christ. At the arena, the crowd was screaming for his execution and the proconsul stood up and said, swear by the fortune of Caesar and condemn Christians. Curse Christ or I'll kill you. To which the bishop responded in his famous quote, 86 years I served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? I am a Christian. And the proconsul said, I will kill you if you don't change your mind. And the crowd began to scream even louder for him to be put to death. But this man was unwilling to change his mind because he believed that it is worth it to suffer for Christ. His name was Polycarp. It's an image that'll be on the screen. Polycarp was the bishop of the church in Smyrna, martyred for his faith in the year 115 A.D., his death was the second account of martyrdom in history following Stephen in the book of Acts. 
And as Polycarp was arrested and as he was preparing to be killed for his faith, he read the very words of this letter to the church in Smyrna, the very words of the letter that we are reading this morning together from the book of Revelation. It was these very words that he read to encourage him to be faithful unto death. It's an amazing story. And you hear that and you're like, wow, that's a great story. This dude was brave. But yet, if we're honest, it feels so distant from us today, so distant from our lives today. But it forces us to ask this question. How do you get to the place where you are willing to die for your faith in Jesus? And so before we dive into scripture this morning, let's pray. Jesus, we're gathered as your people this morning to worship you because you are alive. And Jesus, you've spoken through your word. You spoke to the church in Smyrna. And Jesus, we're asking that you would speak to us today, this church in this place located in Tempe. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We say, come speak to us this morning. Amen. All right, so turn in your Bibles, get out your apps. We're going to uh, Revelation chapter two. We're looking at verses eight through 11, letter to the church in Smyrna. And while you're turning there, here's what we are going to see today. We're going to see that Jesus says, it's worth it when you suffer for your faith because death means life. And so we'll pick up here in verse eight. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So it's really important that we understand what is happening in Smyrna if we're going to understand this letter that was written to Smyrna, understand not just what it's saying, but what it's trying to do. And so for those of you who never think about the Roman Empire, regardless of what TikTok tells you right now, uh, you're gonna think about it right now because you have to think about it. Smyrna is in modern day Turkey, city of Izmir. It was a port city on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And Smyrna had a history of loyalty to the Roman Empire. And that history of loyalty meant that there was a strong allegiance to Rome in Smyrna. Smyrna was one of the first cities to actually worship the emperor. And this specific city deified the specific emperor, Tiberius. And so Tiberius was deified and viewed as a god. There were actually several different temples built to worship the emperor and the Roman imperial cult. There will be an image on the screen of some ruins of one of those temples. What this meant was that there was a strong pressure within the city of Smyrna to participate in worshiping the emperor. And if not, this was a punishable offense that was punishable by death. And so this created a problem for the church. And out of all seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, this church, Smyrna, is the one that receives no rebuke from Jesus. 
There's no rebuke, there's no correction. All they receive is commendation and encouragement because Jesus knows what they are going through, which is why he encourages them in verse nine. And he says, I know your tribulation. Jesus knows that they are living in a hostile environment, that the church is really struggling if they're going to follow him faithfully. Polycarp, just being one of those examples. And Jesus says, but your tribulation isn't just that you're getting, uh, being given a hard time for being a Christian, but he says, I also know your poverty. Smyrna is not a city filled with poverty. It's not a low socioeconomic city. It was a port city, which meant that there was economic prosperity, a lot of trade and a lot of commerce. But Christians, this church, they were poor because they were forced into poverty because they refused to worship the emperor. And so what that meant was they were denied jobs. People wouldn't hire them. People wouldn't support their trade or their business. They were avoided at markets, and this left them economically destitute. It's very different than today in America where you have all of these Christian-owned corporations. There was no Chick-fil-A, no Hobby Lobby, no In-N-Out Burger, none of those things. This church is a persecuted minority experiencing poverty because they are being faithful to Jesus. But it's not just that they're living in an environment with Roman hostility. Jesus says, I know about the slander because of the Jews who are a synagogue of Satan. There's Roman hostility and there's Jewish hostility. This Jewish community in Smyrna was jealous of the growth and momentum of Christianity. And also they considered the worship of a crucified criminal as the Messiah to be blasphemy. Well, why does this matter? Well, it matters because until the end of the first century, Christianity was actually protected from the storm of persecution under the umbrella of Judaism because Judaism was an accepted religion in the Roman Empire. Jews were not forced to worship the emperor as God, but they were actually allowed to make sacrifices to the emperor as a ruler, but not God. But now... This Jewish community has turned against the Christians in Smyrna, which means they lost their umbrella of protection from persecution, and now persecution is raining down on them. And so now, this Jewish community is actually conspiring with Rome against the church, against Christians. They're actually helping, Christ they're actually helping the Roman Empire find Christians and put them in prison. And you never want to go to prison, but you definitely don't want to go to a Roman prison. It is very different than a modern-day penitentiary, very different than our current criminal justice system. There were no prison sentences like we're used to today. And so what that means is the shows that you watch on Netflix, the Locked Up, the Life Behind Bars, there was none of that. There was none of that in the Roman Empire. These prison cells were incredibly terrible places made out of stone, completely dark, no sunlight, cold, prisoners would be starved to death, you would wear a collar around your neck, shackles, you would be, uh, your feet would be uh, put in uh, stocks at night to sleep. And Roman prison only served two purposes, to be forced into submission 
or it was where you went to wait your execution. And so the Jews are conspiring with the Roman officials to put Christians in prison and even to death. And this is why Jesus is so harsh. He says, you are not actually Jews, you're a synagogue of Satan. Man, like if there's something that I don't want Jesus saying about our church is that we would be a church of Satan, right? Like that, that's serious. Well, why? Why would Jesus use this kind of harsh language about this Jewish synagogue? It's because the members of this synagogue are being used by Satan to report and kill Christians. Satan is the accuser. These Jewish people in this synagogue are falsely accusing Christians, and so they've aligned themselves with Satan. But also, it's important to know that some Jewish people in Smyrna had actually begun worshiping Jesus as the Messiah. They'd become Christians, and this led to further jealousy among the Jewish community of the growth of Christianity. One thing that's important to understand because there's such harsh language about this Jewish community is this description, a synagogue of Satan, is not true of all Jewish synagogues and Jewish communities. Out of the seven churches in Revelation, they're all in seven different cities. There are Jewish communities in all seven of those, and there are synagogues in all seven of them. Jesus only uses language about Jewish hostility in two of the cities with two of the churches, Smyrna, and in a couple weeks, Philadelphia. And so what you have is between Roman hostility, Jewish hostility, this city is a very dangerous and difficult place in order to follow Jesus. And so if these are the conditions, what does this church need to hear? What's the message that this church needs to hear? Verse 10, this is the message from Jesus. Don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Here's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says it's worth it to suffer for your faith because death means life. It's worth it. And so how does Jesus call this church to respond to the persecution? Verse 10, he says, don't fear. But it seems pretty scary. Like, I don't wanna go to prison. I don't wanna get killed. This seems a, like a pretty scary situation. And so why should they not fear? Well, in verse eight, Jesus introduces himself in the letter as the first and the last who died and came to life. And this is a very intentional way that Jesus is introducing himself to the church in Smyrna because he wants them to know that he is the victorious one, that he died and came back to life, that Jesus has gone through persecution just like this church is going through and will go through, and Jesus was killed, but he overcame death which means he is Lord of all and he is with them. He can identify with their suffering, what they're going through, but he has overcome it and they are not alone. The victorious one is with them. 
but they should also not fear because Jesus says, some of you are gonna be put into prison for 10 days so that you may be tested. As you hear that, some of you are like, well, John, I thought you just said there were no prison sentences in the Roman Empire. It's not like today. Correct. The 10 days is not literal. The 10 days is an allusion to Daniel chapter one with Daniel and his three friends. We'll turn there. It should be up on the screen. Verses 12 through 15 from Daniel chapter one. This is what Jesus is alluding to. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be as the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. You hear that and you're like, dang, Daniel and his friend just started some new trending diet, right? What is going on here? It's not that. They were refusing to participate in idolatry. They went 10 days without eating the king's food and they experienced the pressure that the church in Smyrna was experiencing to compromise their faithfulness, but they didn't. Jesus is saying, remember Daniel and his three friends. You are like them right now, church in Smyrna. You are living in the empire. Don't be afraid. But they don't need to fear, not just because the allusion to Daniel and Daniel wasn't afraid, but 10 days means it's temporary. What Jesus is saying to this church is, this is just a temporary time of suffering. But it doesn't have the last word, church, because Jesus has the last word. And so he's telling them, I have the last word. Your suffering won't, your persecution won't. I have the last word. I am for you. I am with you. I am Lord of all. It is worth it to suffer for your faith because death means life. But what else is Jesus calling this church to do to respond to this persecution? He continues in verse 10 and Jesus says, be faithful unto death. This is the clearest exhortation in scripture um, to die for your faith, which is really, really convicting, right? You hear that, it's like, man, be faithful unto death. But this is not the only place that we see this. This is the call actually throughout the whole book of Revelation. The call throughout Revelation is to die for your faith in Jesus. Some people will die all at once. Other people will die little by little, but in Revelation, everyone must be willing to die for their faith in Jesus. We're gonna see it repeated. This is the first time, but all throughout the book, it's about being faithful witnesses in the face of persecution and martyrdom. And Jesus says, be faithful unto death because it's worth it. Because he says, you will receive something. You're going to receive the crown of life. And if this language sounds familiar, the crown of life, it's because James in James chapter one says the exact same thing. In verse 12, it should be on the screen. James writes, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James is saying the same thing, the promise of the crown of life. And what's interesting is James, if you don't know, James is actually writing to a community of Christians that are under persecution, just like the church in Smyrna. They are facing persecution for their faith. And James says, hey, it's worth it because you receive the crown of life. Jesus says, it's worth it because you will receive the crown of life. What is the crown of life? It's eternal life. You'll receive eternal life. What Jesus is saying is, your death means life. Jesus has the last word. Your death means life. Jesus is giving the church an image by saying the crown of life, an image that they would have been very familiar with, immediately be able to identify with. It should be on the screen. The crown is a wreath. Wreaths were crowns of victory in Smyrna. Smyrna was well known for its games and a victor in a game was awarded the wreath as a trophy. It was a crown of victory, a wreath of victory. And what Jesus is saying to this church using an image they were very familiar with is that remain faithful unto death and you will receive the wreath of victory. Your wreath and your trophy is eternal life. It's as if Jesus is saying, your death for me is just a doorway into life with me. Church, it is worth it. But the crown of life also gives them a future perspective that is required for suffering. If you are going to endure suffering right now and today, you need a future perspective of something that is hopeful, something in the future, a perspective to say, why would I endure this right now if you don't have a future perspective? Because what you believe about the future shapes how you live your life today. And Jesus knows this. And so he's giving them this future perspective that is required for suffering. And he continues in verse 11 to expand on this future perspective. He says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Everyone will die. But some people will experience the second death. The second death is judgment day, the final judgment. And some people will experience condemnation on this day. They will experience the second death. But what Jesus is saying to the church is, not you. When you are faithful unto death, you won't be condemned at the second death. Satan might have the power to put you in prison. He might have the power to end your life and put you to death, but his power is limited and he cannot hurt the church at the second death because Jesus is the one who holds the keys of death and Hades as he told us in Revelation chapter one. So what Jesus is telling this church is it's worth it because your death means life and you will receive the crown of life. But what do we do when we're not threatened by the synagogue of Satan? What do we do when there's not a synagogue of Satan turning us in to be killed? What do we do when we aren't living in the Roman Empire? 
What do we do when we aren't polycarp? Jesus calls us to the same thing. Don't fear and be faithful unto death. But how? How do you get to the place where you're willing to die for your faith in Jesus? How do you get there? It's by all of the many deaths in your life the many deaths in your life. These are all of the ways that you choose not to compromise being faithful to Jesus, even when it costs you something. Many deaths train us for death. They get us to the place of being willing to die. And anyone who's ever trained for anything knows this. If you've run a marathon, if you've hiked the Grand Canyon from rim to rim, if you've done an Ironman, you know that if you didn't train for that thing, there's no way that you would have ever been able to do it. That's the purpose of training. And that is what many deaths do. They train you. They train you so that you prove to yourself over and over and over and over and over again that Jesus is worth it. If you are never uncomfortable for your faith in Jesus, how will you be prepared to suffer unto death and actually believe that it's worth it? You won't. It's the many deaths that prepare us by training us. I remember when I was called to die a many death. A few years ago, when I was still working at the salon cutting hair, there were two coworkers. They kind of became work friends. And if I'm honest, I really liked them. And if I'm just being honest, I really wanted them to like me because I thought they were cool. And I was like, man, these these folks are cool. And I wanted to have co-working friends while I was at the salon, but they knew that I was a Christian. And they both were very antagonistic towards Christianity. And so, you know, they would make fun of me. I was the brunt of jokes. I'm used to that. I can take it. Um, But it was always the, you know, making the jabs on my beliefs of like, hey, where's the proof? You've never even seen anything. And, you know, always making fun of what they thought were my Christian convictions out of caricatures that they were familiar with. And so they were always just kind of poking fun and, and making fun of me. And... I cared about what they thought, and I cared about what they would say if I openly talked about my faith in Jesus. I was called to die the many death of my reputation, but I didn't think it was worth it. And so I was quiet about my faith. You could even say, at worst, I was embarrassed at times. And even when there were clear opportunities, when they would ask me a question and they wanna know something, clear opportunities to talk about Jesus, I would shy away because I didn't want to be labeled. I didn't wanna be talked about to other people at the salon. I didn't want to be socially ridiculed. But here's the crazy thing. You fast forward several years, a couple years ago, I found out that uh, both of these coworkers' lives unraveled 
one of them ended up going to celebrate recovery at another church, and I found out that they started going to that church. The other coworker in 2021, I was at a pastor's conference out of town. They texted me. I put my faith in Jesus. I got baptized, and they sent me a picture of them getting baptized. And here's the thing. Both of their faith journeys had nothing to do with me because I didn't think it was worth it. And here's what I wish I had done. I wish I had done this. I wish I cared less about my reputation and I cared more about what Jesus might say and do. I wish I cared less about what, I, what they might say or what they might do if I talked about Jesus and more about what Jesus might say and do if I thought it was worth it. The mini death. Many deaths train us for death. Church, Jesus says it's worth it when you suffer for your faith because death means life. But I wonder for you this morning, what's the mini death for you? What's the mini death for you? Maybe it's the death of your career when your company is requiring you to do something that would force you to compromise your faith due to moral and ethical issues, and you don't want to do it, Jesus says it's worth it, even if it means that you lose your job, even if it means that you might not get that promotion, even if it means that you will never become the VP in your company and you're stuck, it's worth it. Or maybe... It's the death of your reputation. When you don't want to compromise on biblical sexuality in the midst of the pressure in our society, Jesus says it's worth it. Even though you will be socially ridiculed, you will be labeled, you will be seen as unloving, and at worst you might even get canceled, Jesus says it's worth it. Or maybe it's the death of your close relationships. Maybe it's your friends. When you don't want to participate in what your friends, maybe even your Christian friends, friends from church, are doing because they're going out partying, they're getting drunk, they're hooking up, they're doing things that you know aren't aligned with the way of Jesus, and you don't want to participate, Jesus says it's worth it, even if they cut you out of the friend group, they're posting stuff on social media and you're not in it, and they stop talking to you. It's worth it. And it also means they weren't true friends anyways. Or maybe, for some of you, it hits close to home, the nearest and dearest when it comes to your family. When your family member changes their beliefs and distances themselves from you because you're still a Christian. Jesus says it's worth it, even though it's incredibly painful, even though there's tension in your family, and even though holidays won't look the same and don't look the same as they used to. And maybe it might be the death of your body. 
Even though this isn't our present reality living in America, it is the present reality of our brothers and sisters who follow Jesus around the world today. And I'm not being an alarmist, but here's what's true. Things change in the world. We don't know what the future holds, but here's what we learn from our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering and what we learn from church history of the saints that have gone before us. We learn that Jesus is worth it. But if it's worth it, what prevents us from dying these many deaths? If it's really worth it, then what gets in the way? What prevents us from doing this? Fear. We're afraid. And the problem of fear is that it leads you to compromise because you will end up thinking that it's not worth it, just like me at the salon. Fear. When you operate out of fear, you will compromise and you will trade faithfulness for whatever you're afraid of which is why Jesus says in verse 10, don't fear. Man, we hear this and we're like, man, this is a hard sermon. It's like, yeah, it is. It's a hard passage they gave me. (laughs) This seems really hard and it is really hard. But sitting with that and just acknowledging This is really hard. It makes us ask the question, why? Why is it worth it? Is it actually worth it? Why is it worth it? If it's so hard, why is it worth it? Is it just because Jesus said it was worth it? What makes it worth it to suffer for your faith in Jesus? It's worth it because Jesus said, you're worth it. It's worth it because Jesus said, you're worth it. He said, you're worth it. And that led him to leave the comfort of heaven. And he came to earth on a rescue mission to seek and save, to pursue you when you were at your worst, when you were far off, when you were an enemy of God, he chased after you. And he was faithful unto death. He didn't give up. He was faithful unto death so that you could have life in him, so that you could be forgiven. You could be healed. You could be free. Jesus said, you're worth it, even though it cost him everything he had. Even though it cost him the death of his career, Jesus said, you're worth it. Even though it cost him the death of his reputation, Jesus said, you're worth it. Even though it cost him the death of his close relationships, Jesus said, you are worth it. And even though it cost him the death of his body, Jesus said, you're worth it. Church, it is worth it to suffer for your faith in Jesus because he suffered and died for you, but he didn't stay dead. We are here this morning because Jesus is alive. And what that means is that it is worth it because he overcame death and he promises that you will too. This church was the good news that motivated Polycarp. This church was the good news that motivated the church in Smyrna. This 
Church is the good news that motivates us today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this church and every person that's here this morning. Jesus, this is a hard passage. Lord, you're calling us to be faithful unto death. And yet, Jesus, you're not calling us to do anything that you haven't done. You've gone before us as the pioneer. And Jesus, the gospel is that you suffered and died for us when we were unworthy, but you loved us because you loved us and you set your saving love upon us. And we are here to worship you in response to your grace in our lives. And so Jesus, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need you. If we're honest, we're afraid. And fear leads us to compromising. And yet you call us to be faithful. And so Holy Spirit, would you give us courage? Would you give us conviction? Lord, where we are weak, would you be our strength? Lord, would you be convicting us of ways that we have compromised out of fear? Would you be convicting us, Jesus, of the ways that we've been unwilling because we said it wasn't worth it to die the many deaths? Jesus, would you show us the many death that you are calling each one of us to die. Lord, we wanna be prepared. We wanna train for the day in which we suffer and die. Lord, that we don't know what the future holds, but what Revelation calls us to is that every one of us must be willing to die for our faith in you. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit. Spirit of God, would you move in our midst here and now? Amen. So now we move into our time of response. Um, and this is where we respond to the good news of the gospel that we've just heard. And we do this in several ways. First, we're gonna respond by singing. And I wanna encourage you to sing loudly to God because he is worthy of our praise. Jesus is king and he is alive and he is worthy of our worship this morning. We also respond by giving. We respond by giving in response to the generosity that God has given us, that in Christ we have everything that we need. And so we participate with God and his kingdom work in the world by giving. We have giving boxes by the doors on your way out, or you can give online or on our app. We also respond by praying. There's gonna be men and women on both sides of the stage up here who would love to pray with you and pray for you. If you've got anything going on in your life, if you need prayer for healing, if you wanna cry, if you've got hard things going on, if you've got questions about Jesus, if you wanna celebrate, whatever it is, we'd love to pray with you and pray for you. And lastly, we respond by the table, communion. We come to the table each week because it is these very elements that represent Christ suffering for us, being faithful unto death so we could be reconciled to God. And so the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us and the wine or the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. If you by your own words would say you're not a Christian, but you're here this morning, hey, we're, we're really glad you're here and we would love you to know Jesus. And so if you have questions about Jesus, come and find any of us or the prayer team and we'd love to chat with you. But for those of us who are Christians, this meal is for us.
And so at this time, I'd like to invite you to stand as we sing, and I invite you to respond when you're ready.